know, mercy is one of these things that Christians ought to be known for, right? We tend to be known for a lot of things that we'd rather not be known for, but what Christians ought to be known for is for their mercy. So um, there was this uh, press release that actually came out a couple of years ago, but this was interesting and not what you always hear. The more important religion is to a person, the more likely that person is to give to a charity of any kind, according to new research released by Connected to Give. Among Americans who claim a religious affiliation, the study said, 65% give to charity. Among those who do not identify a religious creed, 56% make charitable gifts. About 75% of people who frequently attend religious services gave to congregations, and 60% gave to religious charities or non-religious ones. By comparison, fewer than half of people who said they didn't attend faith services regularly supported any charity, even, even a secular one. Now, to give to charity can be an expression of mercy. That's certainly not the only kind of mercy or not even what is especially viewed as mercy within the scriptures. When you think about mercy, where does your mind go to? Do you think first of charitable giving or what, what sort of um, events or activities or practices come to mind when you think about the discipline of mercy? Yeah, Esther. Yeah, acts of compassion, absolutely. Other things? Mercy can be one of these things that can be hard to get, a, get our hands around. Like, you know when you see it, but what does it, what does it look like? We're going to look at some scriptures that help to, to make it clear. Um, but it, would you say that mercy, speaking for you guys personally, is mercy one of these things that comes naturally to you? I think there's some people that mercy is just like second nature or, you know, asking you to be more vulnerable here, I guess, or is it one that you kind of struggle with? And I mean, I would just say for, for me personally, mercy is one that I've really strived toward in my Christian life, but it's not necessarily my kind of default posture. But well, how about for you? I mean, just, you know, you can, you can be honest if that, that is something that comes really naturally to you. Yeah, Rick. I, kindness, I think, is a form of mercy. Yeah, I think that uh, I would say that kindness is, is gentle, kind of everyday mercy. Yeah, and I would speak, I would uh, echo the, the assessment of you as a kind person, Rick, and yay, a merciful one. Uh, so. Is mercy something you do to someone who doesn't deserve it? Like someone says, like the judge showed mercy. Like, right. Like, you know, the, my secret was supposed to be $500 and it was $200. Right. She showed mercy. She showed mercy on me. Right. Whereas mercy just doing nice things to other people. Right. Uh, good question. So yeah, is mercy just doing nice things to other people? Or is it, uh, say that again, how you say who doesn't deserve it. Yes, good. Um, so this is a big piece of mercy that doesn't deserve part of it, right? And sometimes the contrast is made between mercy and grace. Um, the grace is getting something that you don't deserve. And that mercy is not getting something that you do deserve. So I tell a story of when I experienced mercy in this respect, um, after our firstborn son, Sam was born and he, um, so he, he was born, you know, all of that was great, was fine, but it was the first time I was being a parent. And it turns out when you're a parent for the first time, there's a lot of paperwork you need to fill out and all those kind of things that you got to stay on top of, including health insurance, right? It, I mean, it's a pretty simple form, I think, to add a newborn baby to your insurance did not know to look for it or to do it, did not occur to me. And so we did not add Sam to our insurance. We did, however, go to the hospital and spend a night in the hospital, which apparently is nicer than the Grand Hotel, 
uh, because they charge you through the nose for it. We get a bill, you know, a month or two later for just thousands upon thousands of dollars. And I was just a lowly intern at that time. Anna and I, we did not have the money to pay for this. And I was just like devastated. What am I going to do? But I recognized this was my own fault. All I had to do was fill out this, this form adding him. I didn't do it. This is really what ought to happen to me. But I managed to get a hold of somebody at the insurance company, and it was through our Concordia Plan Services. So they should be good Lutherans, right? Working for this insurance company, Lord willing. And uh, they heard my plight. I told them the story, and they said, hey, listen, don't sweat it, okay? You're not going to have to pay these bills. We're, we know that it's a hard time when you know having a newborn baby. We'll make sure we get them added, and we'll take care of it. And I was like, oh, mercy, right? What I deserved was a big fat bill. What I got instead was, was kindness. See? So I think, it's, I think it's both of these things. I think it's both of these things. Long answer to a short question. But let, let's get then to number two, where I give, this is my definition for the mercy as a spiritual discipline. Mercy is the discipline of sharing the compassion of Christ, of sharing the compassion of Christ. So that can mean particular acts. It can mean uh, a posture, a mindset, an attitude of not giving to others what they deserve. But the biblical word, which I, I think I preached on this last summer, is this wonderful word, which I'm going to make you repeat. So listen closely. Splachnidzamai. Let's hear it. Splachnidzamai. Yes. Um, or the, that's the verb. The noun is just splachna. Splachna. And uh, this is an onomatopoeia. Remember onomatopoeia words? Onomatopoeia words are words that sound like what they mean. So splachna is literally the bowels. It's your guts. Okay. And so from that meaning, the uh, meaning, the definition of compassion or mercy came out of splachna. That doesn't sound quite right. You don't want things coming out of, anyway. Um, the splachna, the splachnizma, it's this kind of gut level pity. And you know what that's like, right? It's when you see that commercial for all of, you know, the sad puppies and Sarah McLaughlin singing in the background. I will remember you. And you're like, boom, oh gosh. Next thing you know, you end up like the Tinettis and you have a puppy. Be careful watching those commercials, okay? Um, that's splachna, splachnizamai. You feel it in the gut. But then it doesn't stay there, but it, it comes forth in action. We see this in many, many times in the ministry of our Lord Jesus. The splachna, the splachnizamai comes out most famously in the parable that Jesus tells. So let me just read this. this you're, you're familiar with this story, but it's worth uh, returning to from Luke 10. Jesus is talking to this lawyer, and the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him, Splachna. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Okay, 
obviously the Samaritan is the man of compassion. How do you see that compassion played out? What are some of the things that stand out to you about the example of the Samaritan in the story? Ways that he demonstrated that splachna, that compassion, that mercy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. So he didn't just say, oh, gosh, that's that's really tough. I'll, you know, I'll pray for you. Um, but he he took care of him. I mean, he put himself out, brought him to the inn, gave him more money, all of those things. How about even before that, even before he, he does that, just the simple act of he sees the man. And I love how Jesus puts it here. When he uh, saw him, he had compassion. He came to where he was. He came to where he was. He didn't stay afar off. He didn't remove himself from that person in need, but he came to where he was. Now, we would certainly identify the Samaritan with our Lord Jesus, right? That Jesus is our good Samaritan who saw you and me in our helpless plight and says in Romans chapter five, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were helpless, the godly one came to help the ungodly. Jesus saw you and me in our helplessness, dead in our sin and came to where we were and comes to where we are and meets us. That's kind of the thrust of the sermon this morning in some ways too. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He demonstrates, exemplifies that compassion for us so that then we are able to show that compassion for others, show that mercy for others. Even more simply, Jesus says in Luke 6, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Here's the father's heart. Share that heart with others. See, it's kind of how it goes. So we've talked a little bit about how mercy then contrasts with grace and with love and so forth. At the end of the day, these are all kind of in the same ballpark, right? And you don't want to make too stark of a distinction, but I think there are those subtle shades of meaning that are helpful to, to really grasp and understand what's happening there with, with mercy. Yeah, Esther. Mm. Yeah, really good. So Esther said, can, would we say that empathy is another word to describe, to talk about with, with mercy and with compassion and very much so. So compassion, okay, more word nerding out for you, ready? Okay, so compassion comes from that Latin root, compassio. Passio, to, to suffer with. That's what compassion literally means. Empathy is basically the same word, just with a Greek root rather than a, a Latin root. So empathy, M means N in, and then, or with, and then path, pathy, um, pathematos, uh, suffering. So again, it's that suffering and suffering with sympathy, empathy, um, similar kind of idea. And isn't that interesting that at the heart of compassion and mercy is sharing someone else's suffering to enter into that and, and to go to that place lane you kind of have to do this vocationally because you're a dentist and so you get to suffer with people no but um all of us in our respective callings in in different ways are called to have compassion and because he's a good dentist he does have compassion he's not one of those guys that's just like you know i'm just gonna go for it with the drill i don't know do they still do that but to suffer with others is to show compassion mercy, empathy. Absolutely. And that's what's most truly realized in our Lord Jesus. So let's see how some of these other wellsprings of mercy. First of all, 
Number three, mercy is rooted in creation. It's rooted in creation. Now, I want to read this story, and I want um, this is a um, in some ways a familiar story, but I want you to see what might be missing or absent, what you might expect to be in there that's not in there. As I read this from Mark chapter eight, in those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, "I have compassion on the crowd." because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them and they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people and he sent them away. Now this is different. Jesus also feeds 5,000. This apparently is a, a different action. Um, but is there anything that you notice is missing or is not there that you would expect to be there in this story? Something that Jesus doesn't do. You notice it starts with the Lord's compassion. It's driven by his compassion on the crowds. He sees they're hungry. They're, you know, they need food. So he feeds them. But after he feeds them, maybe you're expecting him to do a debrief, right? I was a camp counselor for a summer. I think they probably do this at Camp Arcadia too. We're going to do an event. We're going to do a team building event. Or we're going to do some kind of activity. It wasn't that fun. But at the end of it, we're going to do a debrief for you to show kind of the spiritual truth that was in this action to help you understand something more about God or, or what have you. It's a, it's a good practice to have, right? You kind of expect Jesus now. All right. He's just done this great miracle. Now, surely he's going to evangelize these people. He's going to give them the good news. He's got a captive audience. Now they've got a full belly, right? They just want to sit there for a little while while it digests. Isn't he going to say that? No, he just sends them away. Isn't that interesting? And to me, that's suggestive of something, um, because sometimes we have this sense like, okay, mercy, for to do mercy, it always has to be joined with evangelism. That uh, good deeds, kindness toward others kind of doesn't count unless we also kind of like shoehorn a little Jesus proclamation in there too. And don't misunderstand me. Next week, we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of, of witness. Like, it's important that we do that. But my point here, and following in the, in the example of our Lord, it's also sometimes simply to show kindness to others for its own sake. See, that's okay. It's okay simply to be merciful to people without then also saying, and wasn't that bread good? Let me tell you about the bread of life. Hey. Uh, but to be able to say, I'm, I'm happy to be able to bless you and to, and to serve you. Okay, now I've said that. Do any of you want to push back on that? or have kind of a, a clarification or a question about that. Basically, that evangelism doesn't always have to be joined with mercy. Yeah, Esther. I think that one of the key things about the ambassador thing, yeah. you know, we go along with Jesus on his Yes, that's right. Yes. Yes, that's right. Right. That's right. That's right. And that's okay. I think we're going to have a, 
a wonderful interruption from the Sunday School kids here briefly as they're just uh, kind of practicing rehearsing for um, Sunday School next week. So please come on in, guys. Yeah. All right, guys. Don't trip on the camera. Oh, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> different that's okay Keep going. okay you go that way miles you go that way eli you go there pierce you go there Awesome. I can't wait to see it. Yes. Just you wait. It'll be even even better next week. All right. That's right. That was we know. We now interrupt you for a brief uh, commercial from our Sunday school. Should do some fundraising all of a sudden, shouldn't I, Chip? Next week, next week. All right. <clears throat> that, uh, so where were we? We're talking about how mercy is good in its own right, right? But, oh, but Esther, you were making a great point that also we know that it's the Lord's work. We're joining Jesus. It, we don't have to have this mindset like, well, if I don't somehow harangue somebody into the faith, then they're never going to believe in him. Uh, no, Jesus goes before you. We just had St. Patrick's Day this week. There's that wonderful prayer of St. Patrick, Christ within me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ beside me. And Patrick just envisioning how the Lord who is uphold, upholds and fills all things goes before us. We have the privilege of joining him in what he's already doing. And in his timing, that person whom we've cared for, we've shown compassion to, maybe they're like, hey, you know what? Esther, why is it that you're so nice to me? And I'm not always so nice to you, right? 
then the opportunity, the door is open also to bear witness. We want to be ready for that too. Both these things go hand in hand, right? It's not one or the other. It's both. It's a both and. Yeah, Gordon. Okay, I'm listening. Yeah. Uh, okay, so his question. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Okay, so Gordon's question is, if he gives $10,000 to the church, which you should, that's fine. Um, and but he gets a tax deduction. Is that still mercy? What do you guys think? How how would you respond to that? Even our good works will damage. Ah, nice. There's no way to separate your. I mean, we're sinful, so our, yep. our motivations always will corrupt us. Even yeah. The best people, you know. You say, you know, well, don't don't tell anybody it's from me. Right. But you know. Really want someone to find out. Yes. I mean, like, yeah. Right. Take the money. That's what I'm trying to say. Exactly. <laughs> Bottom line. <laughs> well, but this is this, so. This is a really important point, and this is something that Martin Luther really stressed that in our lives, because we are still simul justus et peccator, simultaneously saint and justified, saint and sinner. In this life, we're never able to fully escape the taint of sin in the way that our motives can still be corrupted. Right. We seek to be faithful, to show kindness and mercy to others, knowing that, hey, yeah, in my heart of hearts, maybe I do want some recognition or whatever, but that's okay. You are saved not by the goodness of your works or how pure your motives are. You're saved by Christ. And because of that, we are then free to just strive after him, to seek to be faithful, knowing we're never going to do it perfectly, but that's okay. That's why Jesus did. So, yeah, that's very good. Thank you, Chip. Yeah, Grace. Okay. I, I don't really remember where I heard it, but it's basically um, this rich guy is planning to um, build an orphanage, hmm. um, but then he realizes that, oh, my motives aren't pure. Right. So he says, oh, I'm not going to build the orphanage then because my motives aren't pure. And right. Someone else says to him, like, well, the orphans don't care about that. Yes, right. Exactly. And this, this gets to the point of why mercy is important and uh, the relationship between, to put it in kind of your highfalutin theological jargon, justification, sanctification. Okay. Your justification is your right standing before God, which is given to you freely, gratuitously in Christ Jesus. Nothing that you can or, or nothing that you do or that you fail to do is able to merit favor with God as given to you freely in Christ. He doesn't need your good works. See, you can show up to heaven with your big old Santa Claus sack of good works, and God's going to be like, why did you bring those to me? I'm not the one who needs them. Your neighbor is the one who needs them, see? And this is kind of to Grace's point. You're, uh, don't worry about your motives because, yeah, they're always going to be mixed, but the point of the good work is not to earn favor with God. The point is to serve others. And there's also a, uh, just a kind of uh, more, what, what would you say? just the, a, a natural way that these things work too, where when you do the action, our hearts are more prone to, to follow. So doing an orphanage is a great thing. Let me give you an even simpler example. Uh, dear Anne, I know that those dishes really need doing and that I should do it. 
because I'm a father and a husband and I should be a loving, good one. I'm even a pastor. But really, my motives are mixed, and I just I don't want to do that because it just wouldn't be right for me to do the dishes right now. So I'm going to go watch basketball because that's where my heart really is. Uh, she would say, I don't care where your heart is. Those dishes need doing, and there's plenty more basketball still to watch, right? It'll be there when you're done. Because, and then, mercy of mercies, I go and I do the dishes, and you know what? In the process of doing it, maybe my heart gets pulled along. Maybe it doesn't. But in many cases, it, right. in many cases, it does. In doing the action, the, so your, your spirit, your attitude comes along with it. Okay? But in any event, what matters is that faith toward the Lord, and then we are free to serve others. And this is a big point. You guys are with me? Does that make sense? Fake it till you make it. Well, there's something to that. There's something to that. I mean, this is why um, C.S. Lewis writes that we give hypocrisy um, that maybe sometimes there's a, a virtue to hypocrisy. And what he's, he means to that is, how are you going to become a kind person if you don't first act like a kind person? You say, well, it doesn't feel genuine, it doesn't feel authentic because I know that I'm really a jerk. Well, how do you think you're going to grow out of your jerkness if never actually like trying to, striving to be more kind and compassionate to others? And he says, are you being a hypocrite in that moment? Maybe because you know that really you're still kind of that jerk inside, but yeah, Lane. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Sure. Right. No, that, it's, a, it's a good point. Hypocrisy, it does. It goes both ways. And I see what you did there with the crime boss. Just because I'm Tanetti does not mean I'm as deeply implicated in that dirty money, although we did have a giant, no, um, but. <laughs> but your point, your point is well taken. It does. It's filthy lucre, right? That's right. Yeah, Esther. Yes, that's right. Yep. Yes. Yes, exactly. If the son has set you free, you're free indeed. You've got conflicted motives you're struggling with. It. Take it to Jesus. He is, I love the image that Pastor Scott Bruzek gave. Jesus is our blessed beast of burden. He is that donkey that he wants us to just heap our sins, our struggles, our complexities, all of that onto him. Let him deal with it. And then you just do the best that you are able and he'll, he takes care of the rest. Yeah. Okay. So mercy uh, comes from creation. It's rooted in creation, but it also then of course flows from redemption. This is number four on your handout. So mercy is rooted in creation. It flows also from redemption. So first John three, notice how John makes the move from Jesus and the gift of justification then to to our response to that. It says, by this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives, who? For the Lord in response? No, for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
saying, look, you have received this freely from the Lord. Now uh, do that for others. Lay down our lives for one another. But he makes this point about, let's not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What do actions say that words can't say or don't say? Why does he make this point about, let us love not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth? What do actions say that words aren't able to say? The, the proof is in the pudding, which I've heard the longer version of that is the proof of the pudding is in the eating, which makes it helps it to make a little bit more sense to me. Because otherwise I'm like, the proof is in the, is it tapioca? Like I'm looking for the little, okay. But yes, the, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, Anne. Okay, it shows that you mean what you say. Now you've got skin in the game, so to speak. But now you're like, okay, I'm, I'm backing up my words. Because to go along with that, we'll say talk is cheap. Easy to say things, but are you actually going harder sometimes to, to do things? Now, that doesn't mean to undervalue or to undercut the power of speaking and the power of the word. And it can be the, the opposite. Think of the, um, think of the parent who loves their kids, and who, but who shows love always through actions, always doing things for his kids, always you know, um, seeking to, to take care of them, blah, 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 but never says those words. Three, three words that became hard to say in the words of the Aver brothers, I love you. In that case, those actions need to be joined with words. So like it is with, we say, with the actions of compassion and the words of, of mercy, words of the gospel, it's not an either or, it is a both and. But if all you have are words, then they are going to ring hollow. They're going to ring empty at, at some point. Need the actions to go along with them. So go both in. Other, other thoughts on that about what actions are able to say that words can't or don't? I think sometimes the actions will give opportunity. Sure, yeah. The actions give opportunity for the words. It's kind of like they carve out space where now it's like, okay. Sometimes it's just as simple as I help me to interpret that, to make sense of that. And that's what the words do, make sense of the actions. Good. Okay, so we've seen how mercy is rooted in uh, creation. It flows from redemption. But then number five on your handout, it anticipates the renewed creation. Okay, so you might think of this as past, present, and future. So notice Jesus's kind of inaugural speech here in Luke chapter four. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as it was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What Jesus is showing is that within his ministry and his, his life and his work on earth, he's bringing about the renewal of creation. He's undoing the effects of sin. And that as the reign and rule of God comes, as his kingdom comes, what it means in many ways is mercy. So Jesus says, the, uh, there's going to be liberty for captives, sight for blind, uh, the year of the Lord's favor for all those to hear it. He is enacting already and anticipating that renewed creation. What does it look like? It looks like mercy. Similarly, he says, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In that merciful action of casting out demons, God's kingdom, the future comes forward, as it were. 
The future comes forward because now the kingdom of God has come upon you. When we show mercy to others, they are able to get a foretaste of the feast to come, so to speak. They're able to anticipate, oh, this is what life is supposed to be like, what it will be like when Jesus comes again, that there will be no more injustice or even need for mercy because all will be put back, put back right. All right. How are we doing on time? I've got a question. It's 1040. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm not going to go for, for, for 20 minutes, but um, I want to make a couple more points here. So next on your handout, mercy is both a private and a public matter. It's both a private and a public matter. So Jesus famously says in Matthew 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, a couple of things about this. First of all, notice Jesus uh, makes the point to say, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So he is speaking of motives in that respect, saying, hey, don't do stuff just to be seen and praised by others. That's not, that's not the point. See. But instead, be content with being, having, being seen by, by the Father. Now, does that mean that you can't ever, or does that mean you have to always give gifts anonymously? I don't, I don't think so. Um, but Jesus is saying, beware of that. Okay, keep a check on that. Keep, keep that in mind. And then what about this reward piece? Well, wait a second. We said that uh, we're not um, acceptable to God because of our good works. But I would say that this reward that he speaks of is grace, that this is um, just a heaping pile of more undeserved goodness that God gives to us. It's not as though, okay, if you um, don't do your um, good deeds or your acts of mercy in the right way, then um, God's going to reject you. But there is something here about, okay, for Christians, for God's people, as they strive to live faithfully under his guidance and to walk in his ways, that in some way that's beyond our knowing, God is going to reward them, as we might say, bonus, right? This is, this is the idea that Jesus is, is getting at here. And again, I think as Lutheran Christians, we tend to be a little bit nervous and talking that way because it's like, oh, wait a second. No, no rewards. I don't deserve anything. Like, it's, all, it's all grace and that's all true. But there is this other piece where Bible does also talk about rewards, where it's like, even on top of all this, God's like, I got more good things to give you, all right? I'm not holding back. So, but I wonder, and maybe you thought about this too, is it possible that Christians get a bad rap sometimes because they keep Jesus's teaching in this way? What I mean by that is people can say, oh, you Christians, why aren't we seeing more good works? Why aren't you doing more of the loving things that your savior taught you to do and we we could respond perhaps well we do but we try not to draw attention to it because jesus said to to do it in secret is that possible or what do you think am i just uh barking up the wrong tree here i mean make no mistake like as christians as a church generally we could be doing a lot better like let's be clear about that Sure. You already are. You're, 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 you know, as a Christian, you're bringing that up. Yeah. 
hey guys, we're doing more than you really know about it. That just comes off that. Right? Sure, right. <laughs> it's hard for us to make the case. Hey guys, you can start paying attention. Right? Yeah. You know, you wouldn't have this, you wouldn't have this, you wouldn't have this, you know. Right. What do you think you're doing this? You know, like, sure. Sure. <laughs> Why do you think all these hospitals are named after saints, huh? Right, exactly. Right. But I mean, so I, I think you, I think you're probably right. Is it, is it underappreciated? Are Christians underappreciated for the works that they do? Yes, you know. But, but I mean, I don't think that much you can do about that. Right. Uh, I learned a phrase from uh, uh, a guy who works in a lot of mercy work, and he says it's true but useless. TBU, true but useless. <laughs> and so I think this is this would be a TBU kind of thing. Like, yeah, I think that is the case that Christians probably are underappreciated with their works of mercy because they do what Jesus says, but maybe we need to say underappreciated by whom? Underappreciated by the world, which is what we should expect. Underappreciated by God? No. No, by no means. Yeah, Anne. Sure, yeah, yep. I'm way too see. I'm so secretive in my mercy. I'm so sanctified that you don't even see my good deeds. Nobody knows about them. I don't even know about them. Yeah. The flip side of it is mercy is not only a private, but it is also a public matter. So Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, notice he says, when they speak against you as evildoers, not if, when. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Look, if you're expecting for reward and honor from the world, you're going to be waiting for a long time. But this is still the right thing for you to do. Perhaps in the mercy of God, those when they revile you as evildoers falsely, they are going to be called out or they're going to be put to shame because your deeds speak otherwise. But I think it's a, a fair point to recognize what Peter says here. This is going to happen. We shouldn't. Peter also says in that letter, don't be surprised when these trials come upon you. And I think as Christians, too often we act like we're surprised when the world pushes back against us. It's like, no, this is kind of what the scriptures say over and over again. And so don't get in a hissy fit about it. Just continue to be faithful to love them. Jesus says, love your enemies. Okay. He doesn't say boycott your enemies. He says, love your enemies, right? That, that's the, the calling that's laid upon us. Let him sort out the rest. And then similarly, Jesus himself says, and no doubt Peter is reflecting this in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Jesus says that just a few verses before the passage above about beware about practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. But Jesus also says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory, not to you, but to God. See? So both of these things are holding those, holding both sides of that intention. All right. I want to uh, conclude here in the practice of mercy. The church puts her best foot forward. I really believe that this is the case, but um, our the president of our LCMS, uh, Pastor Matt Harrison says the mercy of Christ to us and for us and our demonstration of that mercy to those within and outside the body of Christ is the key to the future of the church, he says, the key to the future of the church. 
And I think it's because things like what Esther mentioned that in showing mercy to others and practicing compassion and allowing our guts to come out, it's blocking that. Okay. Sorry. You guys that came later, I'll explain later. Um, in doing that, then we're um, making room for a hearing for the gospel, right? If they're never seeing, if the world is never seeing Christians act with compassion and mercy, they're never going to listen. They're never going to listen. But when they do, mercy of mercies, in God's timing, sometimes they will say, tell me more, and we'll be ready. Just a couple ideas for practicing mercy. I mean, they're, they're around us all the time, all the time. Um, so just really simple thing, of course, um, we bang this drum a lot, but contributing to our little free pantry. Um, so getting some groceries or next time you're on grocery shopping, get two of things and just bring those by, drop those off, or it doesn't have to be our free pantry. It could be uh, other food pantries in the area, St. Joseph down in Onekama or also Bacon. You want to take the next step? You could volunteer at uh, Bacon if you're interested in that. As uh, many of you know, I serve on the board of Bacon now and, uh, Benzie area, Christian neighbors, okay? You know, I know you're getting hungry, but um, volunteering, serving in that way, it's a great way to put yourself in the path of mercy opportunities because there are so many people who are in need. Um, other things where sometimes, you know, with the Good Samaritan, there's an interesting um, study that was done a number of years back, I think it was at Princeton, where they wanted to kind of reproduce the Good Samaritan um, example but there was one wrinkle to it. There's two groups of people. The one group of people, they were told, okay, you need to go across campus and get to this room and you're already late. Make sure, you know, you need to hurry to get there. And the other group was said, you've got plenty of time, take your time. And this is where you got to go. Both groups go. And in the middle, there was a guy, an actor who was there, who was supposedly in need and asking for help right in the path of the people as they were going. Now, you wouldn't be surprised to hear who, was the, who were the ones who were merciful is the ones who felt like they had more time. And so often this is the case that we fail to show mercy simply because we think I don't have time. And so I guess a, another idea for practicing mercy is just to remember we have all the time in the world. And if the opportunities present itself to show kindness to others, to seize those opportunities. Always have to balance it. Sometimes you know, you've got other vocational responsibilities, things you have to go to. But uh, when the mercy is there put before you, we do well to show it and to share the heart of God in that way. Any other ideas or thoughts for showing, um, practicing mercy, showing compassion to, to others? Being intentional about it, yeah. I mean, the whole idea of random acts of kindness, why do they need to be random? Like, uh, maybe we could be, have intentional acts of kindness. It's not quite as catchy, but which is good, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Esther. I mean, praying, prayer, prayer itself is a mercy, praying for others and then praying specifically, Lord, open my eyes, give me opportunities to show mercy to others. Oh, that, you know, woman that just lost her husband, maybe I can bring by some cookies or a casserole or what have you. Or this person who's, you know, dealing with COVID right now. We've got all kinds of folks who are in quarantine. Can I bring something by for you? And we were, we were the beneficiaries of so much mercy from folks who were, you know, just dropping things by and, and taking care of us. So that's, that's a great point too. Any other thoughts on ways to practice mercy? Really the, the opportunities are endless. If we have eyes to see and stay open and aware 
to it. So I encourage all of us to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, the Lord of mercy, so that we might also show mercy to others. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dearest Lord Jesus, our great good Samaritan, thank you for coming to meet us where we are. And we pray, O oh Lord, that stirred up by your love and filled with your Holy Spirit, we would be able to show kindness and mercy to others in your name. Amen. Thank you very much, guys. Like I say, next week, we will conclude our study of the spiritual disciplines with witness. And then we'll take a couple weeks off before we get into Paul's letter to the Philippians. Super excited about that. More to come. But thank you very much.